Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pimples Podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. Thanks for joining us here for episode 240, Lights Off, because that's exactly what it was for the Riders and their defense against Edmonton, which we'll talk about here on this week's show. Thanks so much for joining us, whether you're watching us on YouTube, on Sastel Max TV, on demand, wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you. My name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I look forward to defending my podium finish at next year's Stadneck Invitational. We'll have to talk a little bit about that because uh, I wasn't invited, even though the invite went everywhere. I wasn't personally invited, so I felt slighted and I didn't go. But I heard uh, Steve you had you, um, missed out. you had one heck of an adventure on a golf hole. I did. It was uh, it was everything I wanted and more. I, I may Not have gotten third worth. place. I may have gotten third place, but Steve is definitely the most honest golfer I've ever played with. <laughs> and that and that itself is an amazing feat. You can give us a follow on X or Twitter as it formerly known as um, at Piffles Pod. I'm at Real Alex D. You'll find me at Safamod. And as always, I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. Of course, Piffles Pod- Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elvinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. <sighs> I think it's time to have an intervention about the Riders' defense. Let's get to the opening kickoff. <laughs> All right, so the Riders lose to the Elks last Friday night, 36-27, dropping their record below 500 to 6-7. and seven. Do we? Do, I'll ask you guys. Do you want to start with the positives, or start with the defense? Uh, Let's get the garbage out of the way first. All right. Okay. Let's get Let's start it. with the Riders' defense because there was absolutely no D in that defense this past week. Oh, I need, I need was... a rim shot sound. Why don't I have a rim shot sound on here? I need. <laughs> a, I need a soundboard. Porous. It was bad. The run D especially now. I'm going to preface this just by saying that they lost three defensive linemen in that game. Anthony Lanier, Miles Brown, and who else got hurt? Nick Daly also got hurt. Um, So they were put in a tough place. That's, I mean, we saw this back in the 2013 uh, West Final when Calgary lost their both their starting defensive tackles. We knew Corey Sheets was going to run all over them, and they did. And this is kind of what happened in this Edmonton game. The Riders lost their defensive line, and the run D just collapsed to the point where, I mean, it was 270 yards rushing that they allowed. 270. You don't see that in pro football. You see that in college ranks. You very rarely see that, especially in the CFL. And... 
The worst part about it was that you knew it was coming. Going into the game, we knew they were going to run the ball a lot. And they could not stop it. So to me, that was the biggest frustrating part of Friday night's game. I knew we were in trouble when Micah Johnson was lining up as D as a defensive end. And I'm like, well, that's a wrinkle. And then you started realizing, holy crap, where's our depth? Like, where's the rotation? Like, there's there's no no bodies left. It was it was rough. Like it was a bad situation, especially on that run side. I'm I'm torn on whether or not we can blame injury or just bad bad planning because we saw last week Winnipeg ran up and down the field on us. They also passed up and down the field and kicked up and down the well, they didn't kick anything at all. They didn't kick but, anything. Yeah. Like I realized that we lost half our defensive line to injuries in this game. But at, at what point do we look at it and go, you know what? This isn't this isn't the players. This is 100% the scheme because there's no way they should be allowing that kind of run game after game. There's too much talent there for that to be an issue. Yeah. Um, this is where I normally defend Jason Shivers and his defense. And I have for the last couple of years, I thought they've been a very strong suit uh, for the team. I don't know what changed from the first half of the year because they were the reason the riders were in games in the first half of this season and something happened and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just because Roland Milligan got hurt, but the rest of the defense has suffered since then. And it's been absolutely atrocious lately. And my biggest issue right now is that normally we see growth. They seem to be regressing right now. And that's frustrating to see when you see guys like Nick Marshall, who's supposed to be our best defensive back. When you see Jeremy Clark, who had such a good year last year, getting picked on continually and getting beat all game long. That's frustrating. They're not getting better. And there's no adjustments. There's no halftime adjustments from Jason Shiver's defense. He's going to run his defense, and that's the scheme he's going to run, no matter what. Other teams will adapt to that, and we've seen that. But nothing changes on the Riders' defense. And to me, that's the biggest frustrating thing is we know they're going to run against them. And you, you're having Micah Tights try to spy a quarterback out wide. I like Micah Tights, but he's not fast enough to be able to look after Trey Ford. He just can't do it. And then he got lost in the wash of, of the bodies at the line of scrimmage. And he just couldn't keep up. Larry Dean couldn't keep up. Like, it was just awful. And I, I'm not happy with this defense right now. Because it was the strong suit, and it should be the strong suit of this team, especially when you look at the Riders' offense and they're down to their third-string quarterback. The defense should be keeping them in games, and right now, they're losing games because of this defense. You look back six weeks ago, and we were sitting there talking about not even six weeks after the after the Labor Day, we were sitting there talking about how this is a championship-quality defense. And it was a defense that was keeping us in games week after week after week. And now finally our offense is starting to click with some semblance of regularity. And our defense has decided to, to crap the bed. And what scares me is this is the guy that Ryder Nation was calling 
to replace Dickinson as head coach. Yeah, you, we, I think we all did it at some I point. I was one of them. But can you imagine he's already not making adjustments with the defense? Imagine the entire team making no adjustments. I mean, we saw that in the Banjo Bowl, but imagine that constantly. I just, like, I'm off that train 100%. Like Jason Shavers is not Herman Boone with his six plays and then just like Novocaine, it's going to work eventually. We're not in Remember the Titans. Like th- at some point, and maybe, yeah, that's part of the reason why our run defense suffered. Cause yeah, they were trying to spy, at least they tr- attempted to spy uh, Trey Ford, but that let Brown run up and down all, all over them. Like, they were not prepared to handle, okay, if we can keep Ford in check, what are we going to do about Brown? They just, it was, it was a poor scheme the entire game. And you're right. They did not fix it going into half. And it was, it was bad. And it was just constant chunk after chunk. Like normally when I see a running back at, in the stats and I look and I see 175 yards rushing, I automatically take away his longest run. And then average it out from there. Because usually you break a pretty long one when you have 175 yards rushing. His longest run was 35. So if you take that away, he still had, what, 17 or 18 carries for 140 yards. So he's getting huge chunks time after time after time on average. And that's what killed the riders. Like they just could not stop it. When they needed to get a stop, they couldn't do it. And they couldn't get the offense back up on the field. And... They needed the offense on the field because the offense was moving okay. Um, I mean, they were put in a really bad spot at the very end of the game with the ball in the you know four yard line, and then getting getting the safety to pretty much end the game. But at least I don't know. Like I, I'm, I, I don't know what to say about this defense right now because I don't trust them, and. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt against Winnipeg in the second game in the Banjo Bowl because, one, they very rarely show up for that game lately anyway. And against BC the week before, they were good until the fourth quarter when they just got absolutely ripped apart. But it's just been it's been a really bad month for that defense, and I hope there's some sort of changes. And I don't trust that there will be. Um, I just don't know. Like we, we seem to be backsliding, like similar to what happened last year. Like, look at the penalties they're taking too. Like I'm, pretty, I screamed aloud why when we took that unnecessary roughness at the on that kick uh, uh, on that out of bounds immediately after they did it to us. Like you, you had to know, and that was such a stupid, selfish penalty at a time when they couldn't afford to do it. I don't understand how this team is just regressing at a faster pace as every game comes along. The the frustrating part about... Now watch them blow at the Red Blacks this week and everyone's going to (laughs) be, woo! Yeah. The frustrating part about that penalty was that if you take that penalty off the board, that... That, or that, that safety doesn't happen. Suddenly we're starting that drive from the 20, not the five. And it's a completely different ball game. And these were the stake, mistakes that we were making last year. And to see them starting to really rear their ugly head at basically the same spot of the season as last year is 
to me why Dickinson needed to go in the offseason and why he needed to go four weeks ago, five weeks ago, six weeks ago. He saved his job with the BC win and the Labor Day win. We know we're stuck with him for the remainder of this season. But what what do you expect at this point? He held them as long as he could, but there's clear issues with with penalties, with regression, with, with all these things, and we're seeing it in back-to-back seasons. And the penalty part is really bugging me too because they were so good at the beginning of the year. I, I gave Craig Dickinson props because the discipline seemed to be there. I don't know what happened, but it's not there anymore and it's starting to cost them. Um, hopefully they can tidy that up because I feel that's a that's something that you can tidy up a lot easier than schematics and, and stuff like that, right? Um, but they just they keep their own worst enemy is themselves. It always has been. And they just they can't stay out of their own way and it, it's starting to cost them games. And now all of a sudden, I mean, everybody's talking about how Edmonton's won four or five and now they're, you know, fighting for a playoff spot. The Riders are still three games up on them. And as of right now, two and a half essentially games up on on Calgary with one game against them next week. So the Riders are still sitting in a good spot when we're talking about playoffs, but it's the fact that they're trending downwards and taking steps back. That's that's where I'm sensing a lot of the, the frustration in Riderville right now is that it's just so inconsistent. And I wrote the article and we've said it on this show before. The inconsistencies remind me so much of the Roy Shivers and Danny Baird era. The only difference is they started with a horrible team and got better, leading the team basically to a couple plays away from a Grey Cup and a couple players away from a Grey Cup of following year. Whereas this regime started out with a pretty good team and have regressed each of the last few years. So... It, it, it's frustrating watching the defense just suck lately um, because they're supposed to be the, the best part of this team. And there should be no worries when you look on paper, even with the depth, even with the injuries that they have, they have the guys there that can play. They have really good depth, but I don't know. I got to give uh, Washington props for his first game as a rider. He was all over that field. And looked like he cared to be out there. Like he played very, very well, especially on that defense. Well, he was about the only one on defense that did. Um, I, I started thinking about this, and and uh, somebody mentioned it was, uh, I think it was on Rider fans on the fan forum there uh, about the lack of tackling from the Riders' defense, and they singled out Nick Marshall and Jeremy Clark and. Uh, Deontay Williams as well on that. And it started making me think, you know, after they lost Roland Milligan and Jaden Dalkey specifically um, in the defensive backfield, they're soft right now. They're afraid to make hits. I saw Jackson Ford jump in there on a, on a run stop and get right in the middle of it. And I love that. I love seeing safeties get in, in the middle of it. I love seeing cornerbacks, you know, stop the running and just get into it. Use your arms to tackle these little shoulder tackles that you're trying for that big hit guys bounce off that. And that's, 
that needs to change. And that that's, that's not just a rider problem. That's a fundamental problem across football. You see it in the NFL as well. You see it everywhere in the CFL guys are going for the big shoulder tackle, but you know, what works just tackling the guy, just using your arms and wrapping them up and bringing them down. And I wish we'd see more of that, but it just shows me that these guys are afraid to actually get in there and make contact. And they're just, they just look scared when there's a receiver that has the ball and they're running at them or the running back is running at them. They look scared and you can't have a defense that plays that way. And that's the way they look right now, at least over the last few games. Time to go to the rolling donut. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, like I pointed out in the boundary bolt, Nick Marshall tried to shoulder check a guy running away from him. You're never going to take a guy down that way. Like it's, fundamental tackling and i understand lack of padded practices blah 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 you hear it all the time that they aren't practicing tackling drills anymore at, at the pro level these guys should know how to tackle by now well it's obviously it, it's not working well at least for the riders you look like a team like bc that first game we played against them anytime a rider player caught the ball he was tackled immediately it wasn't a shoulder check it wasn't anything like that it was a legit tackle we need to go back to basics before we can get better it seems the one player that frustrates me the most, we we expect this from Nick Marshall at this point. He's been doing it for years. But the guy that bugs me the most is Deontay Williams. It's a guy who, who made his bread and butter, made the team off making tackles on special teams and every opportunity he had in the preseason. And even the first week or two, he was on the field. And then all of a sudden, he's gone to the Nick Marshall school of tackling. And it's fallen apart. To me, that's the that's the problem. Is it's it's not just one guy, it's not just here or there. It is across the board, and that's coaching. That comes down to coaching. There is no other question at this point. How they're not being ripped apart on the sidelines every time they do one of those stupid shoulder tackles that doesn't work is beyond me. Shivers needs to be in their ear. The linebacking coaches need to be in their ear. The DB coach, everybody. They should be yelled at like office space six times by the time they get to the bench about their TPS reports. This is what they need to be doing. And it's it's absurd that it's now 14, 15 games into the year and we're still having the same the same complaints. All right, well, let's switch gears here. Let's uh, start talking about a few of the positives anyway, at least on offense. And that's where we saw it is the continued progression of Jake Dolagala. I don't think there's much of an issue with him going forward. I like the way that he's progressed over the last, I, I mean, basically taken over from Mason Fine um, to the point where when Trevor Harris comes back, I know Harris is going to get the get his spot back, but. Dola Gal has kind of earned that. And I just like with, uh, I mean, a shoddy at best at times offensive line, Dola Gal has hung in there pretty well. And he's made some really good throws. The O-line has improved throughout the year and has given him time to be able to make those reads and make those throws. And it just feels like there's, there's just something about Jake Dola Gala. Um, he has, he has the it factor of being a CFL quarterback. I think he's starting to figure it out. And if it's not here, he might be starting somewhere next year. This guy has it. 
And I, I like seeing that progression and it's been great seeing that. And I think we finally, for the first time in, oh geez, um, a decade or more, almost two decades, we have an in-house developed quarterback. And it was a guy that was scouted by them as well, too. You can go back to Darian Durant and say he was an in-house developed quarterback. He also came from the Ottawa Red Blacks negotiation list, or sorry, Renegades at the time. Uh, he was included. <laughs> I we got him from Hamilton. We got him was from Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, it was Hamilton. We got him from Hamilton because we got, yeah, because we got him and um, Getzlaff in the same. That was the Getzlaff trade, yeah, yeah. where it yeah, was actually greatest. for Durant, but Getzlaff was the throw-in. Yeah. Right, but Great, like greatest trade in CFL history. Again, that someone didn't that, involve a kicker. <laughs> again, someone that was traded to the Riders, not found by the Riders. But this, they finally did it. And I love this. They got to find a way to keep them um, next year anyway. Who, who's the um, last one, Drew Willie? Yeah, maybe, I guess. That <laughs> one worked out think. great. Well, yeah. Not, well, it, it might be Ron Lancaster. <laughs> He came from Ottawa. And yeah, he came from I Ottawa. I know. I yeah. realize he also wasn't, but we're going back that far. Yeah. Um, John, Huffman. I think it's great. There we go. That they, it, I mean, but that also just goes to show that the uh, the the scouts have done a, a good job, and I think the team has talent all over the board. Um, but finding that quarterback has been a real, real good one for the Riders. I think the good news is. I don't think there's there shouldn't be a rush to anoint him as the starter. Look what happened. Oh, I hope we've learned from the Cody Fajardo experience that a guy in his rookie starting phase can throw a lot of teams off. Once they get a bunch of film on him, that all changes. Dustin Crump. So yeah. Wait a I, I don't this week, Alex. I know there's going to be people that are going to be when even when Trevor comes back, it's going to be time to Harris is old, Harris is this, Harris is that. It's Jake's team now. Maybe I wouldn't be too quick to move on from Trevor Harris just in case. So yeah, Jake has shown himself to be really good. I think he's going to have a very good career, and I hope it's with the Riders. But I wouldn't be so quick to throw Trevor Harris out the door yet. Um, one thing I've noticed about, uh, the Riders offense, and of course it's, I mean, they have Tevin Jones, you have Sam Emelis, you have Sean Bain Jr. All guys that have kind of, um, really popped out of nowhere to show up this year and, and be leaders, um, close to the lead lead in yards and receptions. Ever since Key and Schaefer Baker come back, came back from injury, they haven't really done much with them. And I'm surprised by that. I thought he'd be a focal point for this offense, whether it was on jet sweeps, whether it was long balls trying to get him in the in the in the deep passing game, um, crossers, anything. Are you guys surprised that we're we haven't seen much out of Keen Schaefer Baker yet this year? I think it's a it's a timing issue, it's a chemistry issue. Like um Jake has tried to hit him on a few passes and they just seem to be off a step. I can think of the last two, three games. There was two balls in the end zone that both were behind KSB. And I don't know if KSB was early, Jake was late or what, but they just ha- are, seem to be having that trouble finding that chemistry to where if they get it, they're they're going to be very a very good pairing. 
I to me, I think it's more he has faith in that connection already with Bane and with Kevin Jones and with especially with Sam Emelis. There seems to be a clear um, camaraderie there on the field. I don't know so much that it's a lack of connection with KSB. It's more he's already been working with the other guys. He trusts them. And that's where he's going. And it seems to me with this offense as well, there is not a lot of play over the middle. Most of the, if you look back to the last game, most of those passes were those, you know, outside the numbers, uh, out passes. He doesn't do a lot over the middle and that's where KSB's bread and butter is. So I think it's a combination of scheme and trust in the other guys already. If they ever do get it together, what a great weapon to have on an already talented arsenal, though. I'm sure they'll get it at some point. Um, I'm hoping it's this week against Ottawa. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that when we look at the game preview. Um, now, after the game, Riders lose. Craig Dickinson, um, they asked him post game. Craig, you're already kind of shaking your head a little bit. His uh, post game I, I need to work on a Dicky impression because some of these quotes are they, they need to be actually heard in his voice because um why the guys need to have a good sleep, get up in the morning and have a good breakfast. What? Sure. Okay. Thanks, Dad. That's, Thanks, Dad. That that's gonna yeah, that's gonna get them ready to go against Ottawa, having a good breakfast after you lose at home when you're favored. Okay. All right, Dickie. Um, but it's the words that he's using, though. He's saying a lot of coach things. We're going to look in the, you know, we're going to watch the film. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Most coaches say we're going to make the changes needed. It's it's things like, hopefully, we'll grow. We'll try to make corrections. No, 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 no. Don't try to make corrections. Make the corrections. And... I'm I'm noticing it a lot more this week. People are angry at Craig Dickinson and they want him gone. And I mean, the time has passed. They're not going to. It's it's way too late in the year now. Um, even if they free fall, you just whatever you ride it out. Um, it just I don't know. It's just it it's it's lack of leadership to me by just saying. Yeah, the guys will go in there, and, and and I trust that they'll make the corrections. Well, you too. You're going to have to make the corrections too. You're going to have to get them to make the corrections. And I'm not seeing much onus on the coach, which to me, any good coach will take. And it was just quote after quote after quote this post game that was just, I rolled my eyes, and I was like, okay, Craig, like just stop talking, please, just. Stop asking him questions, reporters, and just move on. Uh, like, I, Kang Miller that you order on Wish. I I don't think I, there's been a comparison I've made that is so, so apropos. He, he wants to be that good guy. He wants to be loved. He just is not what you want. He's a good coach, not a good head coach, unfortunately. Um, the player, the players do like the players do love him. Like any player I've talked to behind the scenes likes Craig as a man. Great guy. 
as a coach, I don't think the respect's there, unfortunately. It's, it's, I, I, like, what is he trying to say? Like, players are better than last year. The coaching staff is better than last year. I've gotten better than I was last year. Yeah, you better, because you sucked last year. It was all bad. Like, you'd be fired if you were as good as you were last year. Already. I loved how he stopped Britton Gray of the green zone in the middle of asking that question. When Britton says, looking at last year, this is when the team started to to spiral. And he's like, let me stop you right there. And he took offense to that, which good. He should. Um, he showed some fire. So he, he did. so did Ryder Nation. He's shown fire though. Like that, that. this is the weird thing. Like what was that? Uh, the game a few, a couple weeks back where he was legit pissed on the sidelines, yelling at guys Day. going nuts. And he showed fire, and then they win that game, and it's like done for the season, guys. Wrap it up. Let's just ride it out till playoffs. Like, what is going on here? Like, carry honestly. That. I'm I'm with you, Alex. My biggest issue is his his need to not need to, but he he can't seem to give that definite answer to anything about what they plan to do. You know, the, like you said, the hopefully, the maybe, the we'll try. And a wise man once said, do or do not. There is no try. And he needs to remember that. That was a puppet, Steve. There was a man behind the puppet. You shut your face. <laughs> but but legit, there he needs to tell us what they are going to do. Tell us what they, not what they plan to do, not what they want to do, not what they hope to do. Be direct. And, and get that. The players are going to hear that too. They're going to hear your coach saying, yeah, we'll try. Yeah, we're going to try and work on our penalties. We're going to, we're going to try and work on our defense. Well, I guess we'll try. Cool. No. Be, do you ever hear Mike O'Shea use the words try or hope or plan? Get better. I, I've fought against that whole Ken Miller on wish thing, but it's, absolutely accurate there is no better way to describe them and it's it's getting awful like um, and and this is where a play like when he at the end of the game when they popped him out of bounds took a selfish play and it's like what's going to happen out of that nothing that play legit cost you the game well it was one of many that cost you the game but that definitely puts the nail in your in your coffin right there, and they're out there like no one. There's no discipline. There's no no one's no one is scared of Craig Dickinson. No one is scared of crossing him. It is obvious in the way some of these guys play. And I, I wasn't loud that- on the. I, and I wasn't loud, banging the drum for firing Craig Dickinson. It is what it is. I but at the same time as. He's gotten better, but he's not what this team needs. And yeah, they're going to probably make the playoffs. And yes, they have the talent to maybe have a surprise win here and there. They ain't winning the Great Cup this year. But what do you do then? What what where do you need to be to not renew his contract? And I am scared a nine and nine squeaking in the playoffs, maybe winning a playoff game, maybe even have a tough playoff game is enough to keep him around for another two, three years. I don't know. 
Um, this is something, and we need more time for this because I could do a whole episode on this. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll we'll pencil it in for next week, uh, depending on what the what the riders do in, in Ottawa this week. We'll uh, if they if they lose in Ottawa, the, the, this this podcast is going to be on fire. <laughs> there's going to be there's going to be an adult language warning before we start. Um, because I can see a situation in which both O'Day and Dickinson are gone. I can see a situation in where O'Day stays and Dickinson's gone. I can see a situation where both of them are gone. And I feel all of them kind of have merit in a way. Um, I don't, like I right now, I don't, I don't see a situation where O'Day's gone. I don't. I legit don't see it. Well, there's one, but it's going to be a wild Hail Mary. <laughs> well, that we'll save that for another show because like I said, we could go we could do a full show just on that topic. And I know we could. Um maybe we there's will. a lot of the bye week ahead. at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, they have the bye week at the end of the year. Maybe maybe that's the time. I don't know. Um, but um Eddie Steele, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Um, former rider, former elk as well, stays very engaged with the CFL. Uh, said the riders are too simple right now, and the team is not mentally tough. Do you guys agree with that? Yes, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like that, like I said, I, and I keep on hyping on that st stupid penalty at the end, but that proves it right there. They were trying to get revenge for a play that happened three plays ago. That was a dumb play. And instead of doing the smart thing and just running the guy out of the bounds, they had to get their extra lick in for no reason because they have no discipline. And yeah, they're simple because we got carved up by the Elks offense. We were very stagnant on offense against their defense until near the end of the game. Like I looked up at the stats one time and I'm like, is that what our offense is looking right now? Because it was pretty sad in that first half. Like they—they—they are—they're not wrong. He's not wrong. They are simple, and they're not, right now they are soft because they're undisciplined. And you want to know part of the problem, and it and it goes back to that penalty and penalties in general. They're they're soft because they have no reason to fear anything on that on their sidelines. They make a mistake. Coach gives them a hug and tells them he loves them. He doesn't bench them. There's no fear of missing a play, missing a game, missing a game check. The moment Duke Williams last season threw a helmet at a player and played the entire game after that was the moment I knew there was no reason for anybody to fear their actions on the There's no consequences coming. What, what do they have to fear? They're, they're not disappointing grandpa. They're... I just, I just don't get it. I don't, I can't understand how he continues to to coach in that manner and expect different outcomes. Um, Want to get to a really quick Trevor Harris update because of course uh, they put him up the day after we record last week. Um, and it was after a closed practice and I was like, okay, are, are they shutting him down for the year? Uh, is he going to return even sooner? after a closed practice, like what's, what's going on here. Um, and it was basically just him saying that things are on schedule. He wants to resume on field activities within, well, now it's the next week. Uh, it was two weeks back then. Um, 
But it had me. I got to. I, I got to admit, when when they said they put him up, the DMs going around between you, me, a few other people, were like, like, what's wrong with Trevor? Some, like everyone said he was good. What's going on? Yeah, was there a setback? Is there a yeah. setback? Is he out for the season? Is he retiring? What is going on? Like it, the the amount of like, oh my god, what is going on? Was hilarious. And there's like, eh, he's just talking about his recovery. I'm like, oh, well, that is not fun at all. Like, that's boring. And that's, and that's when I said, I think enough uh, media outlets were asking for him for one-on-ones just to get an update on him that they decided, you know what, let's just put him up so we don't have to have him do five, six different interviews. He just has to do one one scrum, basically, and get it over with. So I, I think that's what ultimately what happened. That, that was the biggest nothing burger I've ever seen. Like, we learned nothing that we hadn't learned over the past week or two. That he was progressing well, he was looking to be on the field soon, and expecting to be playing late in the season. We we were told that several weeks ago. This press conference was one hundred percent, like you said. Somebody was asking, everybody was asking, and they just said, "Fine, here, have him for ten minutes so we can shut you all up and and move on." I think it was a PR game because they wanted to take the uh, the heat off the the questions asked about the banjo bowl um, and how this team was going to show up against Edmonton. So I think it was, let's put a, let's put a good, good story out there and, um, you know, mask a couple of the other things going on. So whatever. It's hard to ask. It's hard to ask a banjo bowl question to a guy that didn't play in the game. Well, not, not to him though, but, but yeah. you know what I mean? Just like, let's just, instead of putting coach up yeah. or putting this guy up or whatever, like, it's just, you know what, let's put Trevor up. He'll give good answers. He's always, you know, a treat to talk to. So let's just, everything's good. Everything's hunky dory, right? You you want to put more positive stories out there? Just get more Rob Banstone infomercials. That'll be, that'll put out all the positivity we need. Get that man on TV as often as possible. And we'll forget about the season. The voice of the writers is going to become the face of the writers. I hope so. I love Rob. Um, a couple quick signings to uh, to mention: the Riders signed global defensive lineman. Uh, Have a look at Bellinato. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then uh, also he might even play this week with the amount of injuries they have on the D line. Um, and also an American defensive back, William Poole a third, who's uh, played in Georgia. And I looked it up, and like he was part of the the national championships that allowed nine points a game. Like this could be a shrewd signing for next year. We've seen this happen where they bring in a DB in September. He doesn't play until late October. And all of a sudden he's Amari Henderson. All of a sudden he's Roland Milligan and they become, you know, starters and all-stars in this league. So not that I'm trying to put that pressure on, on William Poole the third here, but that's what this is. This is a next year signing. Um, Maybe we see him later in the year, but um, Give me anybody that was on that Georgia defense for the last couple of years. I will take them all because you look at Philadelphia Eagles, their entire D line is the Georgia D line. Yeah, and yeah. it's just sack after sack after sack with that defense. So give me anybody on that on that defense from that Georgia team. Bring them up here. Just put them all in your necklace and bring them up here. Where does Baldonado rank as as far as quality names that have come up to the CFL. I, I love good. hearing his name. I can't pronounce it, but I love to hear it. Just, have just a high quality name. Maldonado. How is that hard? Hab- Habakkuk? 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 No, it's a biblical you have an name. Extra, 
I was like, I was Biblical. like, there's no, that's that's too many beads. Habakkuk, yeah. Baldonado. Just I love names that that have some like I don't know. I don't know the right word for it, but just some pizzazz to them. Extra K's. K K, K <laughs> words are funny. Cucamonga. Kalamazoo. It's true. Simpsons reference. Got it in. I, I wanna I wanna <laughs> see I wanna see more. I wanna see Baldonado on the field just to hear his name and highlights. That's it. So more, more, more so signings for next year. Um, but like I said, we might see Baldonado this week with, with all the injuries. We'll talk about the injuries in just a little bit. That's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty. That was a long opening kickoff. Let's get to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones here. Um, we didn't talk about it in the opening kickoff. I saved it for this. Um, but when I did mention Roy and Danny, and how I put the article out this earlier this week that this regime right now reminds me a lot of that Roy and Danny regime. Uh, Sheldon uh, asked this and he said, I know I always had thought that Roy and Danny deserved to be in the plaza, but is it only because they made the team average instead of being terrible? They only had one season with a winning record. And that's a great question. They did have the 2003 year where they were 11 and seven. Um, tied for second place, so ended up finishing third based off the tiebreakers. Probably should have beat Edmonton in the West Final. Um, kind of got screwed around in that one. Um, Kenton Keith absolutely dominated that West semifinal yeah. against Winnipeg. That was excellent. Um, but it started thinking because I've always been one that says Roy should be in the plaza. And then I think he's in the Canadian Hall of Fame. How is he not in the plaza? Yeah. And he should go in with Danny because they were they were attached at the hip. Then I started thinking, I'm like, well, maybe Danny shouldn't be in there. I don't know. What do you guys think? Should they be both of them be in the plaza? No. Roy, yes. Danny, no. No. No, you don't. You don't put mediocrity in the plaza. Oh, that's not fair because with four Grey Cups in 120 years, it's mediocrity, mediocrity is our right. But I don't see Danny as anything celebratory. He was a good coach that got us a couple of okay seasons, but he couldn't get us over the hump. I shivers, 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 shivers. On the other hand, to me was 100% a big part of why we were able to win in 07, why we continued on success into the 09s and the, and the 2010. He built that, that team for success down the road. You can see his hand all over that 07. That alone should get him in. Again, four Grey Cups in 120 years. You, you and they you, put three of the teams. You have your hands on a cup. Three teams in the plaza in one year. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, 2010. They put in all three Grey Cup teams. I'm, I'm torn. I, I'm torn. That, and maybe it's the er, our era of fandom. Like Roy, hundred percent deserves to be in Canadian Football Hall of Famer. Absolutely deserves to be in. But you look at the Plaza people as as it goes in here, and I'm not saying never, but I'm not saying not now. But I think if you put Roy in, you should put Dan. If you're going to put Danny in. It makes sense to put him in with Roy if you're going to put him in. But as of right now, I think there's more deserving names. So it's 
it's not a no forever. It's just maybe not now. Da- Danny did a lot for the riders in that era. They just couldn't get over the hump, unfortunately. They had a lot of good guys. And yeah, a lot of it was based on the talent that Roy brought in. But Danny brought them out to play. And yes, there's a lot of 99 seasons. And 99 basically causes rider fans to convulse in pain whenever someone says it. It's a swear word. It's offensive to be nine and nine. And this year the riders are on, on their way to be nine and nine. And I think that's a good record for, you know, a, from where, especially from where they were last year. Like, like it, it shows progress. And that's why I'm thinking yeah. we might get stuck with Dickie. We, this, this might, this might be Roy and Danny, except it's going to be O'Day and Dickie. Like they might be tied at the hip because this team has shown progression but does Danny deserve to be in the plaza? Not now. Because there's probably not ever someone better. Not ever. His career coaching record was 57, 68, and one. And at and what where point is he... do we stop celebrating mediocrity? Hi, we're writer fans. That's all we do. To. Yeah, you have to. No, you don't. I'd rather they put nobody no in one... than keep putting in then mediocrity. no one should ever get in. I'm good with that. Ever. My issue with my issue with Hall of Fames and Plazas of Honors, things like that, is they've gone from something you had to really earn to well, let's find four names to put in there. It's the Hall of Fames across the sports world have become the halls of pretty good. The Plaza of Honor has become the the Plaza of you've played here before. But here's the thing, though: it's not just for players; it's someone who's done something substantial for the team. That's why Paul Hill's in. That's why Steve Mazurik's in. That's like there, there are people in there that mean a lot to this franchise. It's an honor. It's not a Hall of Fame. It's completely separate. Matt Dominguez and part of his knees are in the Plaza of Honor. I, I was I was looking, I'm like, there's there's some players in here. Like Ivan Goodfriend, long time. Ivan um, absolutely should be in there. He deserves it. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying. It's not like you're going to find him in a Hall of Fame anywhere else. No. It is people that have meant a lot to this team. Well, and, and this is a thing where longevity means a lot. And not many head coaches get to coach as long as Danny did with one team, with especially having, you know, a below 500 record. So I know he obviously had Roy, you know, backing him the whole way, but that still says something. You know, it, it's tough for me because I'm I'm a UCF fan and Danny Barrett has a connection. He coached with UCF in 2015. So I, I love the guy. I respect his history. But he never finished above third in the West. Three and five in the playoff. Like I you'll never you will never convince me that Danny Barrett belongs in, in the Plaza of Honor, no matter how hard you try. I you also I think said you'd, my issue, but you, you never have never have fights in football. Yeah, and yes, you love it. But now. I did that because I was tired of the fight. I will never tire of the fight of stopping celebrating mediocrity. Oh, how how would we, okay? We're in episode two forty by episode five hundred. You're you're leading the Danny Barrett needs to be in the Hall of Fame parade. Oh, he's gonna be wearing a jersey and everything. I'll be sitting here with my sunglasses on, ready to go. Uh, no, you know what I just realized. Neil Piffles Taylor, who they named the, the field after, 
didn't get into the Plaza of Honor until 1993. It's <laughs> a long time. It should have been the first one. It should have been. Then again, they some some guy named Ron Lancaster and George Reeds and Eagle Keys and Al Ritchie and you know that was the All first. Right. Fine, I guess those guys can get in. Um, okay, from now well, on, if your name is not on the cup, from now on, if your name is not on the cup, I don't want to see you in the Plaza of Honor. Let's so we can we can take okay we can take out Ripple Taylor. We can take out fine. Who else can I said going forwards. Going forward, <laughs> we have now right. celebrated everybody from our history that deserves to be celebrated without a cup. Now it's time to, to make sure you earn your way into the plaza. So there's going to be no plaza next year? God, well, no, there's still, there's still a few guys that, uh, from the 07 and 2013 years that deserve to go in there. They've won a cup. Is Mark Guy in there yet? Now there's a guy that that belongs in the the Plaza of Honor. You know what? I just have eighty-nine Grey Cup. I have his number. We should get him on the show. Um, he'd be a good off-season interview, I think. Um, anyway, let's take a look around the CFL. Um, here, Toronto clinched first place last week after only twelve games, which is insane to me. Um, with six games left for Toronto, when do you start resting, guys? Do you start resting, guys? Two games left, maybe rotate them through. I, you don't want to give guys too much time off, but at the same time, you got to be careful of the injuries. Kelly goes down. What do you do? Like it's, it's tough. It's, it's almost worse for them to actually clinch this early. I to me at this point, you start looking at, you don't rest guys to start games, but the moment a game gets even a little bit out of hand or it's clearly in the bag already, you start rotating guys out. You start getting those guys out. Get those back back meaningful right oh, I don't know how the hell he was playing past halftime. I, I think it's... you take a look. I think you take a look at nagging injuries that are going on right now. If there's a guy that if if it was a playoff game that would play, but you know what? Maybe we can hold him off for a week. You look at it like the NBA. You look at it with uh, roster management, load management, or whatever, the Kawhi Leonard thing. Um, that's how you start doing it. Um, give a guy a game off here or there. Don't give him multiple games off, just one at a time, unless it's an injury that, you know, could use an extra week. If it could use an extra week, give him that extra week. You can afford that right now. I'm worried about the team's psyche um, with all these games meaning literally nothing, and you're playing not to get hurt. Um, that's when things can go bad. I don't think they're programmed that way with with uh, Ryan Dinwiddie as their coach and Corey Mace running that defense. Um, but I I do wonder about that. Um, but I just think you do more of a load management type thing. Um, and then maybe that game against the Riders at the end of the year where the Riders are going to need that win a heck of a lot more than Toronto. Yeah, you can sit a whole bunch of guys then. That's when you sit your Chad Kelly and your AJ Ouellette and, you know, some of the guys on defense. How bad is the East division that Toronto's able to clinch up, uh, not just a playoff spot, but clinch the division with a third of a season to go. Yep. That that's both amazing and embarrassing to me. 
but really, if it wasn't for BC, Winnipeg probably has the division sewn up as well. Like then again, they lost to, Winnipeg lost to Hamilton this week. Like Winnipeg secured secured their playoff spot very early as well. Like it's baffling. Play, this year, playoff you, you spot. Got, you got your tears. Playoff spot with six of nine teams making it. I understand. You're going to see you guys clinch relatively early, but to clinch your division with a third of a season to go is. Could you imagine that in any other sport? Imagine clinching a, a a division in baseball with 55 games to go. Because that's the equivalent right now. That is how far ahead they are of the rest of their division with a third of a season to go. As a New England Patriots fan, I saw it. As a, as a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, I saw the St. Louis Cardinals do that for... Uh... Good solid five years straight because the rest of the NL Central sucked. Um, as, a, as a Jays fan, I'll never see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Steve, that kind of leads me into uh, the next question here um, about how the East is so bad. And this um, came from Christina Costable, um, CFL's. Um, she works for the CFL. She's their web and. Uh, um, web manager, basically content editor. Um, she said that Ottawa, um, while they were actually winning that game against BC are much better than their record indicates. And they were three and nine. Now they're three and 10. My I question to you guys, because I don't agree with her at all. Um, is it possible to be better than your record? Like are the riders better than an average team, a six and seven team? Is Ottawa better than a three and ten team? This is why power rankings are the most thing that trigger most sports fans because your record is who you who you are. Thank you. Your your record kind of uh, to paraphrase Denny Green, we are who they thought they were. Like your record is who you are. So that's why power rankings are so fun because people, well, no, they they've won this many games and they they were in this game. Doesn't matter. You are where you finish. You beat who's in front of you, or you lose to who's in front of you. That's it. That's there's no games on paper. The games are done on the field. You are who you are. End of story. And yeah, there could be Kesha very good teams too. Hmm? I think Kesha said that once too. We are who we are. That is true. Uh, better than Tesher, but I, I digress. Um, I didn't hate that halftime show. I I, I, I didn't, didn't hate it, it, but I, I'm just sitting there going. Yeah, like I, I'm in this weird, apparently in this weird spot where I'm not, I'm sick of seeing Trooper, but Tesher ain't it either. So I don't know where I'm at, where I'm at anymore in the music acts that the writers bring out. Tesher, Kim Mitchell, Jess Moskaluk. She's in that middle <laughs> no, of the no. two, age-wise. No, no, I, I, I love Jess Moskaluk. I drive by her house all the time in Rokeville now, but... Not anything creepy. I should put that out there. But <laughs> I know where Someone's she lives. But that's beside the point because it's a small town and everyone knows where everyone else lives. Just just but. stop. Just stop talking. <laughs> You're making it worse. <laughs> just dig, dig up, stupid. stupid. <laughs> dig up, stupid. <laughs> but yeah, um, just Moscow ain't it either. But no, like it's... Yes, there's teams with very good talent, but if you can't put it together... You are who you are. I'm, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here 
I agree that your record is where you are. You can't, you are what your record is. If you are a three and 10 team, you're three and 10. You can't argue that point. I can see situations where a three and 10 team might be better than a five and eight team based on who they've played or injuries at the time, things like that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the season, your record is who you are. But throughout the year, I can kind of see that that middle ground of you can be better than your record. But at, at the end of the day, you can't argue with an 8 and 10 season or a 3 and 15 season. That's where you you, you can you can argue strength of schedule based on college football. The SEC is different from the Big Ten, different from the Pac-12, whatever. That's fine. The CFL, everyone basically plays each other. Yeah, there's there is a emphasis on playing in your own division. It still doesn't matter. Like you play everybody, you know everybody. This isn't Bama r- runs through everyone in the SEC versus Oregon who's beaten the Pac-12. There's it's not the same. Your record is who you are, especially in the league of nine teams. I will say this about Ottawa. They've made strides this year. They're actually, they're not getting blown out in games, which is a positive. That's, that's a good Have thing. Have you they're... seen their fan social media? Because they're ready to burn the building to the ground. Yeah. Yikes. You <laughs> thought Ryder fans were bad on, on social right now after, after this loss against Edmonton, Red Blacks fans are way more off the deep end. Um, and I've said this many times, good teams find a way to win. Bad teams find a way to lose and average teams find a way to do both. What is Ottawa doing? Well, they're not winning. They're losing. And you look at Dustin Crum and their two wins with him. They did absolutely nothing for the first 57 minutes of that game against Winnipeg. Then they got a pick six and Winnipeg collapsed and Crum had two runs. The next game against Calgary, Crum was very good. They scored 43 points, one in overtime. That was an exciting game. That was great. That's when you thought you'd start to see the strides. Then everybody figured Dustin Crum out and they've made no adjustments whatsoever. They've Jason Shivered their offense um, where they're not doing anything different than what you know they're going to do. And that's why they haven't really done anything. They're a bad team. If they were an average team, they'd find a way to win a couple of these and get to five and eight or six and seven. They're a bad team. So I don't think it's possible to be better than your record shows. If you were, you would be, and that's it. Yeah, basic. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Um, we got to start powering through this. We're getting pretty pretty late in the show here. Uh, we do have a couple Regina Thunder tickets to give away this week. Um, Sunday, 1 p.m., Libel Field. They're playing the Calgary Colts. Um, Colts pulled off an offset two weeks ago against the Winnipeg Rifles. Like, they're actually a very good team now. And so the, uh, the Thunder beat the good. Rifles uh, last week. Yes, they did. In Winnipeg, right? So um, we'll make it really easy. Retweet this episode, whether you find it on audio, whether it's on Apple or Spotify or wherever you find it, Podbean. Um, Tag us. Tag us. And, um, yeah, just find us on social. Hit the like button. Hit the repost because it's not retweet anymore. Hit the repost button um, anywhere, and you're automatically entered. And we'll... uh, Someone will be off to the Thunder game Sunday at one o'clock at Libel. 
All right, let's get to the uh, Riders and Red Blacks this upcoming Friday, 5 o'clock. Um, watch which station you're watching this game on, on which TSN you're watching it on, because there's another game at 7.30. Um, it's the uh, uh, BC at Edmonton game. So there's going to be some overlap, just like there was last week. Um, I thought they couldn't do that. They didn't have the technology, remember? No, uh, but there is now, so they'll... Uh, there might be some overlap. So if you're watching the game on TV, um, obviously you're probably not flying out there uh, for a Friday at five o'clock game. Um, but watch which uh, TSN has the whole thing and then flips to the other one after. Um, we saw this last week against Edmonton. It's a rushing quarterback. It's Dustin Crum, who teams have figured out and made him stay in the pocket. He can still be dangerous when he runs around a little bit, but I think teams have really forced him to stay in the pocket. Is Jason Shivers going to learn how to do that this week? Or is what we saw against Edmonton kind of what we're going to see against Ottawa in terms of defensive schemes? Dustin Crum isn't Trey Ford. I, I'm not as concerned about him throwing on us as I was Trey Ford. I'm not even scared of his running abilities like I was for Trey Ford. I, I think the Riders' defense, pending injuries um should be able to keep him in check honestly trey ford is whoever what everybody thought dustin crumb was two months ago but better crumb doesn't scare me at all we we were able to handle him pretty well last game the the book is out on him and he's not as good of an athlete to be able to escape that trey ford can beat you with his legs whether you plan for it or not Dustin Crum cannot. And once you've boxed him in, you don't have to worry too much about his arm. Now that I've said that, of course, he's going to throw for 400 yards and six touchdowns. And, you know, it is what it is. But I, no part of me is worried about Dustin Crum at quarterback at all. Which rider road team shows up? Or is it the road team that shows up? Which rider team does show up? Is it the one that's going to come out amped like they were against BC and Winnipeg just a few short weeks ago, or is it going to be the team that was just there to collect a paycheck against Montreal and Winnipeg in the banjo bowl that just refused after, you know, giving up one drive and, and the teams and the opposition scoring right away, both games, they had their heads down, hanging their heads, going back to the sideline. They knew they lost that game already. Which team shows up this week? <laughs> If I knew, I'd probably make more money and I wouldn't have to work and I'd have a bigger bank account. Um, I know what I hope shows up. I don't know, man. This this team on the road is hard to figure out. I, I want to say the team's going to come out flying, especially Ottawa at home is always a, usually a safe bet to take the road team anyway. <laughs> but I there's a lot of injuries on that defensive line. I'm a little worried. Way, way to ride that fence, Greg. That was the most political answer to a question I've ever heard. I know which hey, one I want. I kept myself from cursing. So, because that's what I I'm wanted. Really proud of you. That's exactly what it's been. That's what this defense has been. So, I, I'm really proud of you. It's, it's tough watching this defense and not swear. Um, to, to me, this game is going to tell us exactly how this team feels about Craig Dickinson. They came out flying in those 
those BC and Winnipeg games when the talk started to be about his job. He lit something under their butts and they came out on fire. If this team wants any chance of a legitimate playoff spot or a legitimate run in the playoffs, these are games they have to win. You can't lose to Ottawa and expect to do anything in the playoffs, period. So if they come out flat, to me, this season is over. They can they can maybe squeak into the playoffs and, and be somebody's, you know, West semifinal fodder before they go on to the West final. But if they can't beat Ottawa, they have no business going any farther in this season. After this game, they have a huge road game in BC. And that to me is, it's not, it's not a must win. This game isn't a must win. The game against Calgary in, in October, that's the must win. Um, but I'm curious if they're looking ahead to BC um, at, you know, winning a tiebreaker against them and still holding out hope that they can catch them for second place. That's my worry about where they're at. And on paper, they should beat Ottawa. They should. And I have no reason to believe that they won't. But I'm kind of with Greg. I don't know what to expect from them. And that's the frustrating thing is if I knew they were going to come out strong and by golly, the guys did their best, but they lose, then like, I'm fine with that. Like, honestly, I'm fine Thanks with that. Yeah. But I'm perfectly okay with that. If they go out there and they give that hard effort and they just get beat by the better team that night, that's great. That's fine. That's sports. There's a winner. There's a loser. But if, if they come out just not caring, then like, I don't know how I can trust them the rest of the year. And it's just those questions about last year are going to keep creeping up and they're going to get asked by the media to Craig Dickinson. And he's going to have to circle around that and get defensive on those all the time. Um, Oh, Uh Oh, Alex. Alex? We might've lost (laughs) Alex. (laughs) But he's not wrong. Like Dickie's gonna come out of this if he can't, uh, if they can't pull this off. Like it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. And... I'm having a hard time having actual discussion while we look at that what? blank stare on Alex's face. Like he could not have but, done that better. <laughs> no, honest and yeah, true. But also, I'm gonna move on. Hopefully, Alex comes back in soon. <laughs> But you look at the injuries going into this weekend. Th- that defensive line is beat up. Day one, no Lanier, no Daly, no Brown, no Deontay Williams, no Justin Herbin Reed, no no Jamal Morrow. And Alex is officially gone. <laughs> oh, he's popping back in here. Add the stage. And it was Steve that was worried he'd crash out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Man, you, you, you paused. You paused on, and I, I kind of moved us on to the the injuries going on the, uh, on that defensive line uh, well, in general, uh, but mainly the defensive line. Cause as, as I was just saying, there's no day one, no linear, no daily, no Brown, no Deontay Williams on the defense, no Justin Herman Reed, no Morrow day two, no Pete Robertson. Like that's a lot of depth, especially on the defensive line. Where do they go? 
Well, that's to, starting to Habakkuk Baldonado. <laughs> hey! That's where he, this is where he makes his mark. That starting D line could be Lake Corte Moore, Micah Johnson, Charlie Bell De Beer, and Christian Albright. Like oh. outside Corte, of Micah. Corte Moore, low key. Anytime he's in that I lane, he's he is playing very well. He is going to be I a like starter him. very quick in this league. Love him as a rotational guy right now. I don't think he's right quite now. ready to be the main starter in a in a professional football game. He will be there, and I think oh, he yeah, will be yeah. there for a long time to come. But if he is lined up as one of your four starters and you're going to the global guy you just signed as your fifth defensive lineman, that is terrifying. Somewhere Dustin Crum is sitting there rubbing his hands together thinking, ah, this might be the game I finally get to turn it around. Is Christmas 02 or did we just not include him on this list? Uh, no, he wasn't on the list. Okay. That was from the uh, the Ryderville official injury report. So, no. um, so yeah. Chris, Christmas could be in here as well. So that's still, that's still yeah, not ideal, but. No. Christmas Johnson should be uh, and a beer are, are okay. Up the middle. The outside is going to be a gong. Still, still a little terrifying, but slightly Gosh. better. Well, we'll see uh, what kind of effort they, they put in. And I mean, no team likes to blame injuries, but they have a legitimate beef, at least on the D line this week. If that's the, the D line that we do see, if these guys do miss times. So, Obviously, they're they're flying out a day earlier, which is nice um, to this to this game. Maybe a couple of them will be going with them in their game time decisions. So, first time the uh, the Riders have been out to Ottawa in what three years, four years? It's been so, a little while. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah, of these guys time, might be going a little tourist. Well, last time they practiced on the uh, on the grass in front of the uh, that would have been Parliament. That was it. That was with Chris Jones. That was 2018. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. 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 It's been some time. Right. Well, let's take a look at the uh, the spreads this week for the CFL games. And, of course, the the Riders at Ottawa is the first one. Uh, riders by one? Question mark? 1.5? Riders by four. I've got, I've, but just so you know, I've got no movement. I just have the opening for some reason. There's no updated lines uh two and a uh writer stock opened up at two and a half over under is 44 and a half it's a low one i'll take the over. oh i would take i would take the over yeah absolutely i don't care who's uh, playing if you're giving me 44 points in a cfl game i'll take the over 100 percent of the time yeah um two and a half oh it's sh- the riders should cover that they really really should I yeah, agree. I'm, I, going, I'm going. I'm going Saskatchewan, and I'm going the over. Yeah, I've got the Riders in this one. If they, like I said before, if you can't win this game, you might as well call off the season because it's going to get like, ugly from there. Like I'll be pissed off if they don't come out pissed off. They need to. So it's not a must-win, but they got to show us something here. It's a. Must. Uh, Second game against, uh, or on Friday night, BC at Edmonton, which all of a sudden looks like it's a pretty good game on paper um, with Edmonton on the rise. Well, yeah. Um, I don't know. 
probably BC by two and a half. I'm, I'm going to go BC by seven and a half. Eight and a half. What? Over under an over under of 50 and a half. Oh, yeah. Take the Definitely over. still the over. <laughs> I don't Can know. Can I just say, if, if I'm any team looking at this schedule right now and I see Edmonton coming up in a game between now and the end of the season or in the playoffs, I'm actually worried. That team is starting to put it together, and if they can squeak into the playoffs, not somehow, making the playoffs. I want to see it. I want to see them cross over because I don't. I don't want to see so, them take our spot. So, which but it would be funny? Which to see which it happen. Three, which three teams are going to have to tank then, Steve, for them to make the playoffs? Because right now, for them to get a crossover, they have to leapfrog Calgary, Saskatchewan, one of the two. And someone in the East. Calgary, Hamilton, Ottawa. Although Hamilton is starting to, to look better than they were four weeks out. I don't think it's likely, but I'm sure as hell not giving them a free bingo space like I was oh, no, before they don't get I the predicted the four space, in a row. Stop it. They're not making the playoffs. They're essentially three what... games back with four games to go, and they need three teams to tank. That's not going to happen. But if Could you imagine how embarrassing it would be for the CFL if an 0-9 team made the playoff? Or even worse, if an 0-9 team won the cup? How beautiful would that be? They love hey, the fact that BC won an 11. I was going to say, at least we'll stop hearing about 2011 BC. Yeah. <laughs> the league loves that. Right. They love that stuff. It means you're never out of it. So even if you're a bad team, you're never out of the, the great cup race. Unless you're the Ottawa Red Bulls. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, Edmonton, I digress. That's a big line. That's a big line. So. Edmonton's fourth quarters, the last two games, they've outscored their opponents 34 nothing. And BC was atrocious against Ottawa until the final, like, three and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah I, I think Edmonton covers that spread. I think BC wins, but I think it's a lot closer than eight and a half points. All right. Uh, Montreal at Calgary on uh, Saturday afternoon. I'm going to say Montreal by four and a half. I think it's going to be Calgary by one and a half. Montreal, two and a half. Over, hmm. under, a 46 and a half. Um, I mean, both these teams are like, Montreal's just totally fajardoing right now. Like, they're not in a good place right now. He's lost his confidence again, and we know what happens here firsthand when he loses his confidence. And well, that's not, exactly what's happening there. It's not that he's lost his confidence. It's he's, lost his, he's lost the confidence of the guys around him, so he needs to do everything himself. And that just causes havoc. Uh, he forgets it's a team game. Um, I actually like Calgary. I think Calgary's going to win this one. Nope. Give me Montreal and the points. I think they. Cover. I hope you're right, Steve. I hope you're and right. You know what? The best part about it, if I'm right, Calgary finishes with a sub 500 record, and it will be beautiful. We know it's going to happen this year, but I want it to happen this week. That'll be heaven. We've been waiting for it for so long. Oh, so long. 
so very long. Yeah. Just thinking about how great that is. I was like, I'm just going to look in the distance. There's no words. There's no words. It's just, that's nice. That's nice. Um, and the final game of the week, Hamilton at Toronto. Um, I'm assuming Toronto is probably like a nine and a half point favorite. Uh, sorry, I uh, forgot who was playing. Yeah, Toronto by. Oh, it's on. Oh, it's on repeat. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, Toronto nine and a half. I don't know. Hamilton's playing some really good ball, and it looks like Taylor Powell has figured it out. Almost the same way that, not to the same extent that I think Jake Dolagala has, but he's got Tim White and he's using them, and Tim White's been fantastic over the last little bit. They're using the run game. They found James Butler. All of a sudden, he's doing really well. I don't think Toronto's ready to pull the pull their foot off the gas pedal yet, but I think Hamilton can cover this. I think the Argos win, but Ticats cover. I think Quick. I think Toronto wins, and I think they cover. I think Toronto wins. They don't cover, and I know we're late in this episode. Have we found like the new quarterback club of the of the CFL, like the new young guys coming up? Possibly with Taylor Powell, Kelly Delagala, yeah, yeah, like. There's well, and and going into this year, we talked a lot about how there's a quarterback issue overall in football. I think where there's a whole bunch of average quarterbacks, and then there's a handful of elite ones in the NFL. And here in the CFL, there's a couple really good ones, and then a couple average and some bad ones. But these ones at the at the beginning of the year that we thought were bad, they're starting to turn out. So it's 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 good. It's good for the game. It's good for the CFL. We need guys like Taylor Powell to come out of nowhere uh, from being a third-string quarterback. We need – I hope Dustin Crum can be that guy in Ottawa, be a fourth-stringer and turn into a viable CFL starter. Jake Gala being a third-string to start the year, being a CFL starter in his Trey second Ford. and third year. Trey Ford, especially being Canadian. Like there's like I like and maybe we good. can push like maybe we can go in more depth next week, but the it, it's good to see it's not just retreads constantly yes. like it has been the last couple of years. Last couple of years. It feels like it's been the same guys since twenty ten almost. Anthony Calvillo you know, went the, down injured. Like you you look at it, it's Trevor Harris. It was Zachary. It was Zach Caleros. Michael Riley. Like yeah. we had the same basically five of your nine starters were the same guys for the better part of a decade. Now all of a sudden next season you go into it. I wouldn't be shocked if Powell is starting. I wouldn't be shocked. Well, I, Trey Ford will be starting. Dola Gala will be starting somewhere. Like you're you're looking all of a sudden at at that quarterback change that we've needed forever. And it's guys none of us expected. Because, I mean, I, I don't think any of us any of us looked at our roster and said, you know who's going to start somewhere next year? Jake Dolagala. When he couldn't beat Mason Fine in, in camp. And all of a sudden, maybe he's the guy. And the only reason Powell's getting the chance is due to injury. I mean, same here, right? Awesome. It's 
those guys that are getting their their chance are finally stepping up and running with it. Some of them, like Trey Ford and Powell, quite literally running with it. It's it's good to see, and it's uh, it's much needed. Well, hopefully we uh, see some more growth this week from from these guys, and we see more good games because the CFL games have been very entertaining this year. Um, even some of the bad games have been pretty entertaining, especially at the end. Uh, but overall, it's been a it's been a very very good season for the CFL. I think that's going to do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Of course, Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks always go out to Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making the show possible. Thanks to everybody listening, uh, everybody watching on Sass Telemax TV on demand on YouTube. We'll see you next week. This is Tyler Gilbert with Ghost Behind Your Mind.